Well, happy Easter and welcome to Sunday Coffee. Mississippi State winning three this weekend against the University of Kentucky. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. It's a beautiful Easter morning here in Startwell, Mississippi. We had just one out of three this weekend, Charlie. I feel like I'm ready to go, man. We don't. I don't know how to act. We're just having one game on a weekend. Yeah, I didn't particularly like sitting home having to watch TV. Kind of like being there myself. No, not at all. And, hey, I like Dave Neal. like Chris Burke. Those are two really good guys and, you know, two guys that – you know, Berkey is a guy that, that understands a lot about baseball. Dave Neal is a longtime friend and has been on the show with us during the regular show on out of left field a couple of times. And so let's, let's dive into this. Before we do, let's remind you we're brought to you on Sunday Coffee by Cannon Ford of Starkville. Cannon Ford, if you're in the market for a new or used car – they have the great body shop. They have bed liners. They have leather. They can fix the leather, the tires, brakes, batteries for all makes and models. That's the thing about Cannon Ford of Starkville. You don't have to have a Ford or a Lincoln to go in there and let them look at your vehicle. And so they have great mechanics there. So come by and uh, and see Chris Keene and the gang for a newer used car or the use of their body shop or their service center. Okay, Charlie, this weekend state winning on Thursday 8-1. to one. They went on Friday 3-2. to two. And then yesterday a 4-3 win over Kentucky. So what's your first thoughts of the weekend? The first thing I thought about is – you saying on out of left field this past week about how after losing to Arkansas three games last weekend, the state needed to go five and one the next two weekends. I thought that was a little ambitious, to be quite honest with you, because I thought Kentucky would be very tough to sweep. But lo and behold, a couple of one-run ball games on Friday and then yesterday, that was a good sweep for state. And I don't know. Maybe I'm biased by some prior experiences of Kentucky. What was it, 2012? Where we had to sweep our way to get into the SEC tournament, then we go ahead and win the thing. Yeah, we had to we had to win at least two that weekend, and they were ranked number two in the country. That was Gary Henderson when they were really good in what 2012, and then we won the SEC tournament in 2012, and then we played them again in 2017 here at home. That was the Brent Rooker weekend where he had oh, three boy. home runs in that Saturday game. We won two out of three that weekend. So yeah, we haven't played Kentucky a whole lot at home in the last decade, but we've had some success. I just felt like this was going to be a good weekend for us. I liked the matchup with Kentucky. I thought the guy on Friday night stuff shows you how they have a legitimate pitching staff. He's a legitimate uh, – no, he's beyond legitimate. He is a good pitcher, and it was good to get a win against him. But I felt like if you could get past him, we would have some success this weekend. And we weren't clean necessarily. It wasn't like we played our best baseball, but we made enough plays to – get the sweep which i think is what we needed yeah you mentioned stuff he is their ace normal friday night guy and they lost their saturday guy we talked to nick mingione last week on a regular show and he was talking about how he lost his saturday guy and he was going to keep stuff on that normal friday rotation so they start a freshman on thursday ryan hagenow he goes three and a third but i look back to friday night of what stuff was able to do keep it down with yeah, sink. That's that's who he is. That's who he is. And so we just couldn't get underneath. Stupp went seven innings of the Friday game, gave up three runs, all earned on six hits, struck out five, and he walked one in the game. And really kind of a tough luck situation for him because Cam Hill out in left field lost a pop-up out in left field. 
<laughs> and the twilight. We're not even talking about the sun. We're not even talking about the Sunday. We're huh? not even talking about. We're not even talking about yesterday with all the sun and its craziness. And so you know, State was a little bit fortunate. You know, come back, tie that game with two runs in the bottom of the sixth inning. Eventually, get the go-ahead run on Friday night and win three to two. Hey, let's look back over the weekend of starting pitching for State. Starting on Thursday night, Christian McLeod went six innings, gave up no runs, two hits. He was good. He didn't walk anybody, struck out 11. Yeah, he was good. He worked well with his fastball. He bounced back. He, he looked like Christian McLeod on Thursday night. Yeah, I was really happy with his performance. And I was a little bit concerned, again, the velocity numbers didn't seem to be there. But I thought his stuff was good. And, look, you strike out 11, you don't walk anybody. That's proof enough right there. You've got something working. And then State goes to Brandon Smith. He comes in in the seventh inning, gives up a run in the seventh inning. It was an unearned run in the seventh. But on two hits, he strikes out two and he walks two. I think the walks are the thing that kind of bothers you a little bit about Brandon Smith. Last weekend, he was up. He just is not as clean over the past couple of weeks. He faced 10 batters through 36 pitches. And then we brought Houston Harding out of the bullpen to get that final out of the eighth inning in the Thursday game. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do on Saturday to follow up Fristo? But he only throws to one batter. And how about Stone Simmons coming in? It was a non-save situation. wasn't high leverage, but you're able to use a guy like a Stone Simmons with a big lead on Thursday. And he came in. He did look what you needed him to do. He did have a walk in the inning, but had a couple of strikeouts. And all told, you know, Friday night, you look back and it was 8-1, to one, but you added four runs in the eighth. That was a much tighter game for much of that ball game. And so then let's skip ahead to Friday. Yeah, I said Friday. It was Thursday. Yeah, everything's yeah, Everything's up. off. It's a virtual Friday. It is. I know I know exactly what you're saying, and I think everybody knows what you're saying. It was, it was the, the first game. Will Bednar in the oh, game Friday night. Oh, boy. You know, here's the thing, what's, what's interesting about Bednar, and I think just another layer. First of all, his stuff is outstanding. Two runs, three hits, strikes out 10. He walks two through 85 pitches in the six innings. But here's the thing about Bednar. Most of the times that he pitches this year, it's going to be on Saturday. In most games on Saturday, and we saw it yesterday, play during the day. So what does that mean? It means you can see the ball a little bit better. Bednar pitching at night is almost virtually unhittable. I was he thinking had one, about that one last mistake pitch. Yeah, he had one mistake hit. He gives up the two run home run to TJ Collette. But as the sun goes down and the lights take effect, I tell you what, that just adds another dynamic with Bednar out on the mound. Yeah, I think dusk is a really tough time to face a guy like him. Oh, it really is. And so you look back at that game, Kentucky goes ahead two nothing in the Friday game. We're able to come back. We talk about Rowdy hitting that pop up to left field that Cam Hill just lost and he couldn't find it. We end up tying the game, and then it was just one of those games that kind of reminds you a little bit of the Kent State series or the the Eastern Michigan series or you know the early season when the Tulane when you, when you had to come back and win games late. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going to let you go any further and use the words tying up a ball game without talking about the first run we scored. Well, Skinner. <laughs> I mean, come on. You're burying the lead here, man. Well, you base it through the right side. Okay, here's the thing about that. Skinner runs extremely well. We all know that. What if he's thrown out the plate there? Oh, yeah. So that's the thing. I, I guess I want to go back. I have not been able to see. And, you know, of course, one of the problems, let's talk about this, when the SEC Network is doing a game, when ESPNU is doing a game, they've got guys sitting in their basement calling. That's not a knock on them. 
It's not okay. their fault. Look, I'm telling you, it's not. drives me nuts that Ben McDonald called one of our games from his house where he could see the lights of the stadium but couldn't go there. But what does that mean? They just don't see as much as somebody who is in the stadium. No knock on them. I know that ball was hit to right field hard, but I thought that would be a play with Skinner speed that he scores easily. And so you wonder, did he not get a good jump? What happened there? Maybe you saw it better than me. Did it just get out to the right fielder that fast? It got out the roads in a hurry, and he was playing fairly shallow. And so he comes in and he fields it you know, on a third, fourth hop, and that ball is just in shallow right field and a hard-hit ball. And he's really got a chance. I thought if there's anybody else on the team, he's out, no doubt. Oh, yeah. And just the athleticism with the ball coming up the line a little bit to be able to dive around, there was no outs in the inning. To me, that was the big thing is you're, you're sending the runner and the runner going to try to come around and score, but, and there's no outs in the inning. You never want to lose that first out at the plate. What is it they say? You never want to make the first or the third out at third base? Yeah. I certainly don't want to make the first out at home plate. No, and then you get the sacrifice fly by you know Luke Hancock in the eighth inning that drives in a run. State ends up winning 3-2 to two in that game. Landon Sims comes in to pitch the eighth inning and then the ninth inning. Okay, I'm glass half full Bart. I have been. I'm excited about sweeping a series. But let's look back at one out, top of the ninth inning on Friday night. Pop up high on the infield. We know the situations that happened last week. We lost some balls, and it came back to bite us. Then of the game on Friday night, pop up straight up in the infield. It lands about 10, 15 feet to the right of the second base bag. What happened there? Well, that's a good question. Ultimately, let's kind of break it down a few ways. Number one, that's the second baseman's ball. Agreed? All the way down to Little League, second baseman ball all day long. Yes. All right. So, when you go back and you look at the replay, Hatcher is coming in fairly adamant, it appears, that he's going to take that ball. Would would you agree with that? He did, and that's not Hatcher's ball. All right. And so, you go back, and we talked about this And look, this reasoning is going to lose its effectiveness as this season goes on. But the question becomes, you've got a guy in DeBrule playing second base, hasn't played there at Mississippi State. He's got a veteran beside him. Is it a situation where he just gives way to a guy and then it's an all of a sudden every you take it? And ultimately, that's one where I don't care if you've been playing there a day, a week, or 15 years. That's your ball. You just got to declare it and you got to go get it. I wonder how much last weekend that pop-up to shallow left field and the shortstop Forsyth not going to get it. That was a shortstop's ball. And what did we say on the show last week is that's just a freshman who has the veteran to his right playing over at third base who may not have been as assertive and taken as much charge as he should have. Now, here's what I would love to have had. I would have loved to have had a microphone on the infield to see who's calling what and how forcefully they're calling. Because if the ball goes up in the infield and I'm Forsyth and I just had something happen last weekend where I was not aggressive enough, all of a sudden a thing goes up in the middle of the infield, I start calling everybody off. And then it's like, uh-oh, that one's getting away from me. And it got away from me. So that, that was my question. Now, DeBrule has to have the ability to say, get off of it. I mean, because shortstop has kind of free reign on the balls in the middle of the field. Is that true to you? Yeah, absolutely. And so, but it landed too far. I mean, it landed too far into the the zone of the second baseman. 
And some people say, you know, why is it you talk about Hatcher coming over? Yeah, you want your first and third baseman to get anything they can get on the ground, but anything in the air. That's your middle two infielders, anything in the middle of the field. So it's either Forsyth or it's DeBrule. And that was clearly DeBrule. And it, may, and it may have been, like I said, it may have been a situation where Forsyth is trying to be too aggressive, calling, 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 and then realizing, oh, that, that thing is a little bit further away than I thought. So I, I don't know. That's the whole question is, yes, it is DeBrule's ball. Yeah, that's the thing. What do we say? You guys have to communicate. They may very well have been communicating. We don't know what was said. Yeah. But just drawing it up from the press box – kind of angle of things, looking from the cameras. Ultimately, if the communication wasn't second baseman, you take it. you got to worry about what the communication was. So then all of a sudden, Kentucky has a tying run at second with one out in the ninth inning. You've got Landon Sims out on the mound. He gets the comebacker right to him. Able to get it to second. State turns the 1-6-3 double play, gets out of the ball game. That's great. And then we head to yesterday – when early in the game, we saw it in the first inning, Rowdy Jordan, a fly ball in the center field, and Austin Schultz just lost the ball in the sun, just completely lost what it. What was going on yesterday? Rowdy ends up with a triple, scores on a sacrifice fly, and then you know we go to the top of the second inning, and Aranjanu hits a pop-up behind the third base, where the third baseman is normally going to be playing. We're playing in a shift. Forsyth's got to go get it, and he didn't have a chance. He dropped it. Here's the thing with me, especially about you know Austin Schultz, the center fielder, and we talked about this a little bit on the broadcast yesterday about how the awning of the stadium kind of slants back toward you know a, a lot of awnings that falls back. All the water is going to fall off behind the stadium. This one is is kind of at a it has a peak and it comes back towards you. And so what that does is not only when the ball goes up. You have to pass through that glare if you're a center fielder, and then the ball gets into the sun. So a lot of times, you, it's really tough. Now, you, instead of staring at the sun, you've also you got to turn your shoulders and catch the ball with the corner of your eye. You can't look directly into the sun. You got to use your glove, turn your shoulder, put the glove up, and catch the ball out of the corner of your eye when it comes out of the sun. That's what you're taught, you know, as as a high school player and on up. But to me, the ones that were crazy were the ones on the infield because usually that's not an issue because the glare of the stadium is not an issue. So you see the fly ball dropped, and then the pop-up dropped behind third base, and then we come right back and get the pop-up in the bottom of the second inning. Logan Tanner, the third baseman, comes in. He loses it. So you got three balls that are lost. I've never seen three balls lost in the sun that early in a game. Yeah, and then Schultz drops one later. Just completely dropped it. Yeah. And I think that was in his mind. He finally found it, and he came running running in and just – And just let it go right off the heel. Flat out dropped it. So, that being said, Charlie, if you ask me right now to tell you the difference in last weekend and this weekend is when you're playing a team that's big-time elite like in Arkansas, they make you pay for it. They made us pay for last weekend. Kentucky was unable to make us – pay for mistakes that we made in the field. And it goes back to what I thought Kentucky oh. was. They're a good team. They're not an elite team. Yeah. Arkansas, we're going to come back to our discussion about Arkansas in a minute. But the thing that Arkansas did last week, it seemed like everything that went wrong, they exploited. They took advantage every single time, it felt like. Things went wrong this weekend. Kentucky just wasn't able to. Now, on the one hand, you'd say give credit to Landon Sims. But, man, you're asking a lot for a guy to get a 1-6-3 double play. 
you know, those don't happen very often. And he was able to get out of it. But you go back in that ball game on Friday and then the ball game on Saturday, you are a bloop away from being in extra innings in both those games. So let's look at yesterday's game. We come out, we score that early run, sun-aided triple by Rowdy Jordan. We end up scoring. Kentucky comes right back. They get that pop-up. We talked about Arajanu uh, getting the pop-up double. They score with a two-out RBI single from Chase Estep. We're tied at one. And then we go to the second inning. Luke Hancock absolutely just obliterated a ball to start the bottom of the second inning. Oh, boy. I mean, absolutely just – so, let me ask you this. I've made the comment a few times that I think Luke Hancock is a good hitter who has power as opposed to a power hitter. Am I wrong? I mean, am I going to just have to get used to the idea that he is a, a legitimate power guy? I think he's a power guy on certain pitches. I think he went up there hunting fastball, and he got it. And I, I'm not taking anything away from Luke at all. I just think it was a situation. It was the first pitch of an inning. And so, Lee's going to come back out there – tie ball game, and I think it was just a, a deal of, you know what, he's about to throw me a fastball first pitch, and he threw it right down the pipe. And, you know, if you look at it, if you're Lee, the pitcher for Kentucky, he got burned by his defense. It was a 3-1 ball game, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it ought to be a one nothing game. Should be one We gifted them a run. They gifted us a couple. Yep. And then Logan Tanner, the next batter, hits that pop-up on the infield that the third baseman Church comes in and lets fall three feet in fair territory down the third base line. We end up scoring with Lane Forsyth, who gets the single through the left side. Let's talk about that. Lane Forsyth, when we brought him in at shortstop 10 games into the season, (laughs) it was almost like this guy is a defensive guy, and he may be a liability at the plate. He's a true freshman because true freshmen can't hit, especially, you know, a freshman shortstop. I tell you what, he's been a pleasant surprise at the plate. Well, he certainly has. And the thing about it is this. I would be willing to bet that if you'd have asked Chris Lamonis – this question. I'm going to give you a shortstop who's going to play pretty good defensively, and he's going to hit 220. Do you want him? I think that's about the question he thought he was being asked when he put Forsyth in, don't you? Yeah, he did. And yeah. he's sitting here, you know, kind of battling around 300 right now. And it's not that he's up there pounding balls off the wall, but he's putting it in play and sneaking a few through, and he hasn't hurt you at the plate at all. No, he hasn't. He made one error in the Friday game, and I thought Chris Burke made a great analysis, had a great analysis on this, was a ground ball. I think it surprised him how hard it was hit. He was trying to round it off instead of letting the ball come to him. He was trying to be a little bit too aggressive coming after the ground ball and burning because it kind of rode up on him. If he sits back on that ball, he catches it on the second hop. It's a routine play. And I think that's one of the things that you learn as a freshman how hard balls are hit at you, what you need to do, and you know whether you need to come in and round that ball off or whether you do need to sit back and wait on it for that second hop. Those are things that he's learning on the fly right now as a true freshman. So we take the lead. We expand the lead. Logan Tanner pokes one down the right field line. <laughs> We've gotten one that way. We've seen an opposing player get one that way this year already. I think that was earlier in the, early in the, in the season. And so it just – 318 down the line and pokes it out to right field. But that gives you that that 4-1 lead in the fourth inning. You know, a lot of people will complain, say, when they go into ballparks, see the different dimensions and say, well, that's a joke of a home run, that porch is too short, all these things. To me, that's one of the things that's great about baseball. Every other sport that you play in, the field's the same. The basketball court's the same length. The rim's the same height. Baseball fields come in all shapes and sizes, man, and they have forever. 
And yep. it's just one of those quirks of the game. It's there for everybody, and I don't apologize for it. I mean, think back to the polo grounds, about how deep it was to center field, about, you know, down the lines. I mean, it's, it's been like this forever. And what's the thing about ballparks? It's all about making teams a little uncomfortable. This ballpark makes visiting teams uncomfortable because they see that circular corner out there. They see the bullpen just down you know, the right field side. And how about the bullpen catcher yesterday almost catching one in the back for, from a failed pickoff attempt? It's just things that just make you feel a little off kilter. So you go later in the game, Kentucky scores a run in the fifth inning, a two-out walk to Cam Hill. They go back to the top of the order. Schultz drives one in the gap in right center field. Charlie, here's what I think back. Kentucky had runners at first and second in that game yesterday, and they had the three-hole hitter Rhodes at the plate. And Jackson Fristo, you know this is probably going to be one of the last batters that he faces. He's got Colton Kessler in the cleanup spot on deck. And the last thing that he wants to do, Kentucky's gotten it back to a 4-2 to two game, and I thought that strikeout of Rhodes right there in the fifth inning was absolutely massive. If we go back to that ball game yesterday, there's a number of times that you can look at and say, our pitchers fell behind. They were 3-1. and one. They had to challenge hitters with pitches, and they got away with it. And it's the difference in many cases of, for example, at one point you look at, you may have to face Kessler with the bases loaded, but you're able to battle back from a 3-1 count and get out of the inning with a strikeout. There were a number of times yesterday where one or two pitches could have swung that game fairly dramatically. And that was actually Jaron Shelby who led off that inning. He was pinch hitting there in the fifth inning with Rhodes due up, and he strikes out swinging. And what's Kessler do the next inning? He leads off with a single. Of course, it's a different scenario and situation. We're able to turn the double play, get out of the sixth inning, Kentucky gets a run in the eighth inning. They get the leadoff single from Austin Schultz. The single by Collette down in the corners off of Houston Harding, who comes in and throws one pitch. And then with runners at first and third, you get the ground ball hit by Shelby. We get the middle runner. Kentucky holds the runner at third, so it's first and third with one out now. Right. So that's the play where they've got runners at first and third, nobody out. They hit a ground ball to Cameron James, who's playing back at third and they don't send the runner from third. Surprise you? Not really. I mean, it's nobody out. Are you going down action on nobody out? I Look, it's one of those things. I'm kind of like guys who complain about the shift. I love it when it works, and I want to fire the coach when it doesn't. That's how I am with down angle. It drives me nuts. Go back to what we said earlier. It drives me crazy to see the first out at home plate when we're playing down angle. The thing about it there was – Cameron James is playing back at third. Yeah, I mean, and, I can see it both ways. And, and you have to feel like with a guy at first that we're most likely giving up that run to try to turn the double play. Anyway. And essentially we were. You throw it down to second, you get the first out of the inning, and then you got first and third. You know, it's still a two-run game. It's four to two. You got, you know, tying run at first base. And a pinch runner comes into the game, Zeke Lewis, and he takes off. You're giving up the run. I mean, you, you want the out. That guy between first and second is your guy. you got to get him out. State gives up the run. You get that pickoff, and Kentucky only gets one to get it back to 4-3, which I thought was, was very, very big. And then you go to the ninth inning, and all of a sudden you're ending up out there with Parker Stinnett, 
and Parker's got great stuff, but we haven't seen him in two weeks. We saw him last against LSU, and he got hit a little bit in that game. And so now all of a sudden, you're bringing a guy out of the bullpen to pick up a save in the ninth inning of an SEC game who hadn't pitched in two weeks. I How thought many that- times did we say that yesterday? Well, we haven't seen him since LSU. We haven't seen, you know, Preston Johnson hasn't pitched in a long time. That's the thing about losing midweek games. Some of these guys haven't had a chance to throw at all. Hey, Saren Tolahan had a chance to throw it all. I mean, there's a lot of guys who haven't had a chance to pitch. Spencer Price coming in. How big was it for Spencer Price to come in and get that ground ball to third? He threw that slider. He got the ground ball to the third base when it was first and third, nobody out. So, yeah, we saw some guys yesterday that, that we haven't seen in a while. Tuller has been brought in to, to pitch in some big, big situations. He went two-thirds of an inning yesterday. So, yeah, it's, it's just a bunch of different guys you got to rely on. All right, so let's go through a few things. I want to get your take on a couple of ideas. Number one, I think one can make the argument that when we go through an SEC weekend and use Landon Sims for only two innings, we haven't used him enough. I think you're going to use Landon Sims one time on the weekend regardless, okay? I think he's a two, three-inning guy, three or four-inning guy. I think how many innings he pitches, you're going to use him one time because he's such a max effort guy. I think even if you use him on Friday night and he throws you know, two innings on Sunday, it's going to be tough to bring him back. Now, I don't know about how he bounces back. We haven't seen him have to bounce back yet in his pitching career. But as max effort of a guy that he is, and then you're trying to figure out how do you want to back end it. I thought in the game on Friday, it was kind of yours for the taking of, hey, we need to get this series right now and forget about tomorrow. And that's when you bring in Landon Sims and say, okay, we got you a tie ball game. We need, we need you here for the rest of the way. And that's what you got. I thought it was just more of a moment of, yeah, here's a guy we really like to pitch on Sunday, but this is our moment right here. We got we to get this series right here. Oh, I didn't have any problem using him just then. I, I was a little surprised we didn't go to him in the inning earlier. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go to him, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Do you go to him in the sixth inning? You know, or do you go to him in the seventh inning? And go in. I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. Let me ask you this question. I mean, it worked. I'm not in the business of taking apart game plans that that play out. It's just that look, we've had a lot of talk about this pitching staff, and all these labels have been put on them, and how deep they are, and how great they are. There's a few opinions that I think I'm forming. Number one, even among a team of elite pitchers, there are a few people who rise to the top, even within that group. Yeah, Landon Sims is one of those guys. And you know, Will Bednar is one of if, those guys. If we were power ranking, that'd be kind of fun to do one day, power rank Mississippi State's pitchers. But Landon Sims may be at the top. He may be the best of the best. Well, I, I go back to I think a, a middle relief or a guy at the back end can be just as important. Now, a starter has to be an inning eater. A starter has to be a, have the ability to get, it, get you at least six. And we got that this weekend. Fristo went five yesterday. But you got six solid innings out of Bednar and McLeod. I thought that was big. And so, I mean, obviously you put them up there, but the idea being that when it's all said and done, you want Landon Sims, number one, in high leverage situations, which is why you don't pitch him in the ballgame on Thursday because you were ahead big that whole game. I don't have a problem with when we used him at all, and obviously it all worked out. He's just a guy that, as you go forward, I'd like to see a number of innings under him. And maybe that's the key to his success. You just got to use him when you can. Okay, let me ask you this question. Late game substitutions. Sometimes those are things that kind of go unnoticed. 
and I looked at yesterday, and I saw, you know, we moved Leggett from second to third. And, of course, a lot of it is accentuated if an error is made. We bring DeBrule into play second. We take Cameron James out of the ball game at third base in a one-run ball game. Kentucky finished the game with a runner at second. What happens if you go extra innings, and all, now all of a sudden you got your best hitter or one of your best hitters in Cameron James who can't come back in the game? And go back to the day before. You go back to the ball game on Friday night, late in the ball game there, we not only take out Cameron James, we took out Tanner Allen. We put McGowan in right. Okay, I can go back and forth. I was somewhat okay with it with Cameron James in the game because he would have been the sixth guy to bat. I mean, that would have forced the game to go to the 11th for him to really get a meaningful at bat. So I could understand it there. Well, maybe, because, but you're assuming that Kentucky doesn't put two runs on the board, right? I mean – the, you may need more than one run in extra innings. You may need to force extra innings. Well, and two, the, the next thing you look at is if you come back in the ninth inning, you've got your bottom of the order up. You've got Leggett up. You've got Forsyth up. And so you may need the 11th. I mean, I hate to – you can't play for the 11th inning in the ninth inning. You can't do that. But that's one of the things you got to start thinking about is, you know, is when you make the substitutions. I'll guarantee you this. Chris Lamonis has a stat on it. You know, yes. That guy – it's kind of interesting because we always talked about John Cohen being the analytical guy, and he is. That's a fair label. But Chris Lamonis studies the numbers on this stuff a whole lot more than people realize. Let me ask you this. Is that because there are more numbers available now? I mean, we talked to Marcus Timms this past week. He's an old-school guy. We've known Slick forever. And he's an, he's an old-school guy that is, you know, with, with analytics departments and everybody investing in analytics and knowing numbers now. I mean, isn't that where we're going in the game right now, though? Here's what I take from Chris Lamonis. With all the numbers that he's given, he makes moves. He doesn't sit there and say, well, okay, I, that's just not how I'm feeling. I mean, he uses the numbers. All right, so it's interesting because he also – we've talked about a couple of things with Chris Lamonis. Number one – He's willing to do things unconventionally when he thinks that's what the situation calls for. We've never seen any team, home or away, shift as much as we do. He makes the change at second base, plays Leggett in place of DeBrule the other game. Now, we, we've got some other guys who are struggling. Yeah, we do. That's not our place, of course, to pile on. But we understand the game. I mean, you have to understand the game. You have to understand the numbers. And what do the numbers tell you? that in the last 35 at-bats, Josh Hatcher has two hits. And so what are you doing here as far as what move could you make there? That and that is exactly the issue. So it's easy to say what move are you making at second base. It was easy when Cameron James was struggling defensively at shortstop to know what your option is. You know, that's one of the things that I guess is really difficult. You know, as a fan, I can look out there and say, Boy, this guy's struggling. We got to get him out. Number one, that's not how baseball works necessarily. But number two, you always got to know what your options are. Well, okay. What people are going to say is, "Hey, won't you bring Tanner Allen in from right field?" Okay, who are you going to bat in his place? Who, who's who at the plate is going to take the place? Who's that? Who, who's going to be the guy that play? Who, who gets the outfield spot when Hatcher's out of the lineup? Now, then the question becomes. Well, I mean, surely the goodness is a catcher. Luke Hancock could play first base. I've heard people say that. Well, I don't know that he couldn't, I but know. I don't know that he can. I mean, that's the thing. I just don't know. We, we don't. You don't. You don't have. But a clue. I will say this: can't we? Can't we agree upon this? If you think back about our life as a Mississippi State fan, at one end of the spectrum, you have Ron Polk. 
here's my nine. And this will be my nine in May and June also. Chris Lamonis is way on the other side of the spectrum from Ron Polk. Very, very much so. He will make changes when the situation calls for it. Well, I'm going to say this. If you put Hancock at first base and you put Hancock in, the, in your one through nine lineup, who's going to DH for you? Who's your DH then? Tell me. Give me somebody. Oh, Give me somebody better, somebody better with better potential than Josh Hatcher. That guy scalded two balls yesterday, and I'm not joining the fan club here. I'm just saying he scalded a ball to the right side, and he hit a ball line drive to left field. I want you to tell me who else you put in right now. I, I don't know. I'm scale, scour the lineup, and I'm just telling you right now, I well, don't the, know what the, move the, you make. Yeah, the easy response to that would be that you put Cumbiston left. You put, or excuse me, you put Cumbiston right. Braylon Skinner in left, and you play Tanner Allen at first. I mean, that's an option. And that, we'll see. But here's what I know. Chris Lamonis will make changes if he thinks the situation calls for it. Absolutely. And once again, Because he is never – he is never – I mean, look, Sarantola came into this season as a top 20-something major league draft pick. He made a change. We've seen him make changes. I don't know what all goes into it. I don't go to practice. But I have to think that – he will do what's called for. No doubt. Hey, at the end of the day, State wins three this weekend. We play Southern University on Tuesday night, then on the road next weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, against the Auburn Tigers. Hey, quick shout-out, by the way. If we're going to talk about the negative of hitting, let me tell you one guy that I thought was really good this weekend hitting, Luke Hancock. We talked about his home run. But, you know, he came into the ball game yesterday without Friday. a hit. No, he came into the ball game yesterday okay. without a hit. But he had four RBIs. Yeah, yeah. Meaning on Thursday and Friday, he had driven in four runs without the benefit of a hit, four sacrifice flies. You look at the first run that we get in the ball game yesterday, driven in by a sacrifice flies. That's five on the weekend. And so you see Hancock and then you see Tanner Allen being able to produce runs. We saw guys move base runners yesterday. Yes, we did. And it doesn't always work, but it puts you in a better position I thought we did some things at times really good. And then the other guy who I thought had some great at-bats all weekend, the stats won't show it, Cameron James hit some balls hard. He did. He hit some balls really hard. The double, you kind of set the tone in Thursday night's game. It was a close game. You get a bases-clearing double, scores three runs. That blew it open. That allows you to, to come in and pitch how you pitch with Stone Simmons and not having to burn anybody else you know, on, the, on the back end. Yeah, that was a big hit. He hit it better than his numbers this weekend, too, though. I, he hit a couple really, really hard right at guys. I like the way he's swinging the bat right now. No doubt. Well, most importantly, State wins all three. Now five and four in SEC play. They'll take on Auburn next weekend down at Auburn. Auburn losing two out of three on the road against Arkansas. Lost in ten innings yesterday. They had a Arkansas had a couple of come from behind wins. Charlie, we normally like to keep this at thirty minutes. And real quick before we go, we said last week Arkansas is the best team in the country. You still think that? One B. One A, one A, one B. Jack Leiter. Look, Jack Leiter makes Vanderbilt really good for at least one game. I think that Arkansas may be better in offensively and in the field. Vanderbilt's pitching. I don't think Arkansas's front line pitching is great. Uh, Vermillion's kind of a, a hole in the middle of that rotation. Um, last thing, Barton. I know you're telling me it's time to go, but we had a really good interview this week with Marcus Thames, and it was an interview I think that meant a lot to me just because of how much I think of him. Marcus, a guy that grew up in Louisville, Mississippi, he's a state fan. 
hitting coach for the New York Yankees. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please do. There's one story I want to tell about Marcus real quick, if you'll allow me, and that is this. You know, I was down in Tampa about two years ago, and I called up Marcus and just kind of found him. He didn't even know I was down there. And you know where I found him? He was over at a little league field, and he had about five kids out there. He had gone to hit with his son, and he's got a bunch of kids out there. They have no idea who he is. They don't know that he played Major League Baseball. And he's a guy that goes over to the parks and just starts playing ball with kids. And they ask what his name is. And, you know, the dads always kind of figure out, that's somebody. I just don't know who it is. And he's like, yeah, just Marcus. Yeah, he's got that big league body. Yeah. So they kind of figure out who he, you know, that he ought to be somebody. But it's never for the attention. It's never because cameras around. He's a guy who's really committed to growing the game of baseball. And I thought that was uh, some of the most fun that I've had talking with anybody about the game. It was. You know, Marcus's interview was outstanding and longtime friend. And it was three guys from. You know, you're originally from Winston County. Yeah, you're whether, kind of always from Louisville, aren't you? Mike, you, whether you want to admit it or not, you're originally from Louisville. I'm originally from Natalwoya, Winston County, the bottom half of the county. And Marcus, a long-time Winston County guy, Louisville guy. Yes, go back and listen to that interview. It was fantastic. It was just three guys from Winston County sitting around talking about baseball. And he just happens to be the hitting coach for the New York Yankees. Uh, keep on subscribing to the podcast. If you're just now kind of getting in and listening to maybe to the, just the Sunday shows, make sure you subscribe. You tell your friends about it. We're growing exponentially, which makes it so cool. We've had some really good guests. And I think that's one of the great things about what Charlie has done for, for a living, what I do for a living, is you come into contact with so many different people around the game of baseball. Baseball's different. I mean, it is so different about the camaraderie you have with players you play with, against, or players you coach against, and broadcasters you, that are on opposing teams. It's just a different game. And so that's why we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to us each and every week. The Thursday shows without a left field, the, the Sunday shows with Sunday coffee. If you have any comments, tweet us at Mark Gregory, at Charlie Winfield. But we appreciate you guys listening. It's been a lot of fun, and we continue to grow, continue to have fun with it. And once again, we're brought to you by Cannon Ford of Startwell. Cannon Ford, if you're in the market for a new or used car, go by the service center. They can change your battery. They can fix the leather in your car. They Any bumps, dents, anything you need at Cannon Ford of Startwell. They don't have to, your vehicle doesn't have to be a Ford or a Lincoln. They can fix just about anything. They have batteries, of course, for every make or model car. Charlie, we went a little bit longer today. We normally keep the Sunday at about 30 minutes, but, man, I tell you what, it was it's a lot of fun talking about uh, three Bulldog wins. I'm calling two out of three next weekend in the worst case. All right. And, hey, here's the thing. It's like Nick this weekend with Nick Mangione. Nick Mangione's one of the reasons you, you build a ballpark. I mean, the guys you had coming in, he talked last week in his interview about recruiting Jake Mangum, very big in that process. Now this week we start talking about former assistant coaches, you know, Butch Thompson down at Auburn. What a great guy. Greg Dry, who is one of my best friends in the world. He's the ops guy at Auburn. You've, you've got so many good people, and that's what I go back to. You know, baseball is just a strange game where you have so many tight relationships and people keep those relationships. But like Nick was this past week, he's a friend, but he was the enemy this past weekend. Butch and Dry, love those guys to death. 
Ben Benny, lets them beat, <laughs> beat them to death next weekend. Because <laughs> they're going to be trying to do the same to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of fun. We'll be back during the midweek for Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And once again, thank you for listening to Sunday Coffee.